It's the last week in our I Am series, um, the I Am statements of Jesus throughout John. And so we're looking at the last one, I Am the True Vine, uh, which is in John chapter 15. And this is a beloved passage by many, many people. Uh, Many people would claim this is one of their favorite passages of Scripture, the first few verses of John chapter 15. I'm going to have you stand with me and honor God's word as I read it, please. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask, the Father in my name He may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Great words. You can have a seat. Join me in prayer. Jesus, your word is good. You are the word of God and you are good. Speak completely clearly, cleanly to us. May our hearts be open, our eyes be open, our ears be open, and may we see what it is that you have for us today, God. May your word be the double-edged sword that nuances and and cuts through the different uh, facets of our life to reveal to us what it is that we need to see. You are a powerful communicator. Communicate to us. Holy Spirit, illuminate the word of God. Father God, we know that you want your best for us, and so we open ourselves to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So you might have heard about on a Sunday, a, a, a mom was going in to wake her kids up and her son up for church. And she tells him, hey, it's time to get up for church, to which he responds, I'm not going to church today. And she's like, why aren't you going to church today? And he said, I'll give you two good reasons. The one is because they don't like me at church. And secondly, it's because I don't like them at church. And so she responds by saying, I'll give you two good reasons why you need to go to church today. You're 49 years old and you're the pastor. (laughs) 
If ever there was a moment where Jesus would not like his people, this is the moment. If ever there was a moment where those who Jesus had been caring for, he would not like, this would be the moment. These words that drip with sweet love from Jesus really need to be seen in the context because we can't understand what they're actually communicating to us and what all they fully mean unless we understand the scene. We have to set the scene. If we just took these 17 verses that I read and took them and isolated them, we would completely miss what, they, what they're actually saying. You know? And so here's the scene. The scene is, is that they've been sitting in an upper room And Jesus has just got done washing a bunch of stanky feet. And he scrubbed their feet. And then he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's about to happen. My body ripped. And this is my blood. And he takes the cup and he shows them and he sets up the new covenant. He's put everything in place. He's he's laid all the groundwork for the new covenant. And in a few short hours, he's going to seal that covenant with his death on a cross. In just a few hours. He's not going to sleep again until this happens. This is, he's, he's in process. The whole thing is, is happening here. Okay? And Judas has already left the room, and he's going to betray Jesus. Jesus has already spoken to Peter, the rock, and he's already told him, you're going to deny me three times. So after washing their feet, after seeing the betrayer leave, after telling Peter that he's going to deny him, that's the, that's the setting. After telling them he's about to die, that's the situation that we're in when this communication happens, okay? And the conversation has already started. And what the conversation is, is he begins to switch. And, and after the meal, as they're sitting around the table, what he says to them, in the, in the last few chapters here, we see the conversation starting. And uh, Josh Hostetter worked on, on one part of this uh, a few weeks ago when, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. That's right before this. And what he's saying is the basic message as they're sitting around the table is this. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And what we would think, what we would imagine that he's actually talking about is like, don't don't let your hearts be torn up when you see me hanging on a cross or when I die. I don't think that's actually what Jesus is talking about here. Because our hearts should be troubled by the fact that Jesus has to hang on a cross and that he has to die. That's why we have the Tenebrae service, the Good Friday service here, is to trouble ourselves. We should be very, very troubled over what our sin does. It's devastating what it does. And we need to stop and look at the cross, and it should break us when we realize what it requires of our God in order to rescue us from our sin, and we should be broken over our sin. Jesus, when he says, do not let your hearts be troubled, when you read the discourse that he has with his friends, it's not about saying, don't be troubled over the fact that I'm going to die. Don't be troubled over what you see in the cross. What he's saying is, is don't be troubled when everything changes and there is a call on your life. For three years, Jesus has been preparing them. For three years, he's been working on them, helping them to understand how to know how to connect with him and how to know how to connect with the Father. And he has a plan for them at this point. And he's now stepping into a place where he's beginning to commission them into the work that he has. And he said, this is the Last Supper. Because after this, he's like, I won't drink from this fruit of the vine until that day 
in the kingdom. And what he's saying is there will be a day when we're around the table like this again, but what is happening to us right now is not going to happen anymore. Everything's about to change. It's not just that Jesus is going to die and resurrect and seal the covenant. It's that they aren't going to be able to walk physically with Jesus anymore. That the whole nature of how they've lived life and how they've come to understand God and Jesus is about to shift. And they're going to be very, very tempted to completely freak out. Why? Because every time that they had a concern, they had Jesus right here and they could just go and talk to Jesus. And he's like, do not let your hearts be troubled. Now, I want us to hear this for what it is. Oftentimes when the scriptures tell us, don't be afraid. It's easy for us to feel the part of God that's like a tender father who doesn't want us to have to worry. And he's like, it's okay. You know, don't be afraid. That is part of how God speaks to us. He's their comforter. He wants to comfort our hearts. But don't miss what this statement actually is. This statement is not a self-help tool so that we can get through life. Don't be afraid. It'll be okay. This is not a suggestion so that we can feel better. What this is is a direct command from God. A direct command to us. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Period. Do not let your hearts be troubled. This is a warning. It's a command. It is him. As much as he says, do not murder, do not steal, do not make idols, do not let your hearts be troubled. When he commands us to do something or to not do something, and we do the inverse, what is that called? If we let our hearts be troubled in the situation that he's called us into, that is not just something that's annoying and hard and we need God to cleanse us of. That is sin. He says, do not let your hearts get all messed up. Why? This is why. Because Jesus has been preparing them for something very special that he has for them. And if they let their hearts get all torn up, they will stop seeing what he's called them to. They'll retreat. They'll grow inward. And they will stop producing the fruit that God has called them to. And they will lose focus on the whole reason why he's poured his life into them. There's a mission for their life. And if they let their hearts be troubled, they'll miss it. And they'll grow inward. Like this, and they won't reveal the image of God. It's a command. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't do it. It's coming. Everything's going to change, and you're going to be tempted to feel insecure. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And then he tells us why. He says, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you have access to the Father through me. And what's more is, when I go to prepare a place for you, I don't leave you alone as orphans. I'm going to send someone to you that I like to call the helper. And here's the thing. The helper is going to remind you about everything that I've ever spoken to you. He's going to give you everything that you need. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my walk with the Lord where I've looked back at these disciples with jealousy. And I've said, man... Can you imagine if Jesus was here in the flesh and anytime I had a problem, I could just be like, Jesus, what do I do about this? A couple things about that. First of all, you know how many times these guys got humbled when they asked Jesus about stuff and how embarrassing it must have been? Secondly, Jesus says, it's far better that I go. 
because I'm going to send one who's not going to walk with you next to you, who you're trying to figure out. He's going to come and indwell you, and he's going to change the way you think, and he's going to change the way you feel. He's going to influence your spirit. He's going to go all the way in. Would you rather have Jesus standing outside of you who you can talk to, or would you rather have his spirit dwelling in you to lead you into all that he has for you? It's far better that he comes in and dwells in us and among us. And so this is what he says. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't get tore up because what's going to happen is I go to prepare a place for you. You have access to the Father and I'm sending the helper who's going to remind you and guide you and give you everything you need. So do not let your hearts be troubled. All right, that's what it's been about in, in chapters 13 and 14 around the, around the table. They've been sitting in the table and, and they've been going through the whole uh, laying out of the new covenant and he's been talking to them about how he's going to be with them. And then at the end of chapter 14, this is the last verse, as they're sitting around the table, picture him at the table with them and he gets done saying they're going to have the helper and he's going to be with you. And then he says, but I do as the Father commanded me. In other words, that's how it's going to be for you. You're going that way. Now I'm telling you what I got to do. I got to obey what God the Father has told me to do so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, rise, let us go from here. Okay, so where are they going? They're leaving the upper room or they're at least leaving the table. We know they're not yet to the Garden of Gethsemane where he's going to pray and pour his heart out. They're not there yet because that's in the chapter 18 when they cross the Kidron Valley and go into Mount of Olives in the, uh, at the base of the Mount of Olives there. Right now, they just got up from the table and he says, rise, let us go. Picture Jesus kind of walking down the steps with him and out into the courtyard. And here they are after all of that. Now, this is a moment where knowing the betrayers out there, knowing the denials coming, knowing all of that's about to happen, Jesus could very much be like frustrated with these people, you know? And instead, this is what he says. Picture him in the courtyard outside the upper room, and maybe they're starting to walk toward uh, the Kidron Valley, and he's just looking at them after saying they're going to get the Holy Spirit. And he says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. What's this speak to them? Each week lately, I've been trying to give a little homework assignment, something that you can go and dig into the scriptures and, and look at. I would encourage you this week, if you're looking to do some home study, study term vine in the Old Testament. Everything they would have understood about the vine when Jesus says this. If you go back and do a study of the word vine in the Old Testament, it'd be awesome to help inform you as to what it is that this says. I'm going to give you a couple little cliff notes, but it's not going to give you the part that's going to like blow your mind. Because if I did that, you have no reason to go study it. So, uh, but here's what it does do. There's two things that I want to share with you about the vine. One is that in the Old Testament, the vine is Israel. The nation of Israel is called the vine in the Old Testament. Um, you know, vines are curious things where uh, I, they, just last week I was out in our, our woods behind our house and I was pulling vines out of the, of the woods that were like choking out trees and clogging up the woods. And uh, so I wanted to clean it out a little bit. Dangerous activity when you're majorly allergic to poison ivy. You know, the green hadn't come out, but I get it so bad from the vines, you know, if I touch them. But I was all geared up, man. I had like layers and layers on and everything. And it was hot out. And I don't care if I'm sweating. I just don't want poison. And then I'm throwing them into the fire and burning them, okay? And uh, as I'm as I was, <laughs> what? You're like, did I just tell the township that I was doing something I shouldn't be doing? 
<laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay. So anyway, where was I? The thing that was crazy about the vines is as you're pulling the vines out, as I was pulling the vines out, these vines go everywhere. They just make their way into places like a tree is very structured, you know? It goes up, it goes out, and that's the tree. Vines, man, you never know where they're going to go. And they double back and they go all over the place. The craziest thing for me is when a vine jump, jumps from one tree to another. You ever seen that? Like way up in a tree, somehow there's a vine going across the tr- from one tree to another. How did it get there? I don't know. But vines have an uncanny ability to be mobile, to be fluid, to, to go. And this is what, what the nation of Israel, when it was called the vine, it was called to be a blessing to all nations. It was the vine that came out of Egypt and came toward Jerusalem, but then it was supposed to spread out. The vine was supposed to spread out and produce fruit for all the nations. That's what the vine did. And yet Israel failed miserably at their job. Israel clearly for a long period of time became completely inward focused and was concerned about building the infrastructure of their own kingdom and having things be comfortable for themselves. Any fruit that they bore was for their own liking. Jesus, when he speaks to them, he says, I am the true vine. He's the fulfillment of what the vine was supposed to be, the blessing to all nations, the one who goes and blesses. Secondarily, a little snapshot, I, I really want to get into this one, but I'm not going to for the sake of time and for the sake of your homework, um, is, is when you think about Jonah, you remember who Jonah was called to go speak the truth to? Nineveh. How did he feel about that? Not so good, right? And he wanted nothing to do with blessing Nineveh. Nothing to do with it. Event, he runs the other way. You know how it happens. The, the fish swallows him and all of that and eventually goes to Nineveh because he realizes this is not going to go well unless I go to Nineveh. And he goes and he speaks to Nineveh. Of course they repent and they turn back and he's so mad and he goes under his tent thing that God gave him. And what is the tent made out of? A vine. Okay? The blessing to all nations, including Nineveh. And when Jonah gets upset about them repenting and turning back to God and connecting to the vine, what happens to his vine? Shrivels up and gets eaten by a worm. You want to know why that's so awesome and what that says to us? Then study and go look. Jesus calls himself now the true vine, and he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Okay, so here's the deal. There's two things about, uh, there's two kinds of, of branches on the vine. There's one that's bearing fruit and one that's not. The one that's not bearing fruit, both of them get cut. We, we, we don't get to be humans and not be cut. That's part of being human is you have to be cut by God. There's two ways that we're cut. We're either cut down at the base or we're cut in certain portions of our life. Okay? And so cutting all throughout the scripture, the word temple actually means to cut. When we come to God, we are cut. And there's two ways that we are cut. We are entirely cut 
because we're not staying connected to him. And where there is not God, there is not life. And those who are looking to say, am I staying connected to God? There's one place where he turns clearly in this scripture. He reveals to us how we know whether or not we are staying connected. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus pursues us relentlessly. His love is so relentless. It just keeps coming back and coming back and coming back, a tenacious form of love. I want you to picture the vine and the branches coming out of the vine. Right at the joint where the vine touches the branches, inside of there, there's a little Keebler elf door, okay? You won't read it. if you Don't go and look. You're not going to see it in there. I'm just telling you that's the way it works. There's a little Keebler elf door inside of that branch, and Jesus is standing at that door, and he is knocking. And if you turn to Revelation, you'll see that there's a door to our lives. And he stands at that door and he knocks. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone will open the door, I'll come in with him and I'll sup with him. I'll eat with him. I'll, I'll connect with him. We'll be in deep relationship. I will call you friends, not servants. I'll be with you. And he's, he's coming and he's knocking on the door of the branch of our life. But there is a question as to whether or not I'm even aware of the knocking. And if I am aware of the knocking, whether I'm willing to open the door and receive what it is that's there. Because oftentimes, I'm not interested in receiving. Like, if I just want a friend, that's fine. But he's also God, which means he's coming with authority, which means, like, I don't know about that, you know? And so here he is standing at the door. There's no doubt that he wants to connect to us. The doubt is whether we are connecting to him. And he gives us a way to know whether or not we're connecting to him. And that's whether or not we're, abi- whether or not we're bearing fruit. That's how we know. So then we have to ask ourselves, what is the fruit? And there's uh, a couple ways to answer that, okay? Um, and all of them are found right here in the text. First, look at verse 8. By this, my Father is glorified. Just stop there for a second and look at our second sign of the three signs over here. Why do we exist? We exist to reveal God's nature and to delight in his presence. Revealing God's nature, the character of God being revealed, means that we're glorifying God. The other way to say that is we exist to glorify God and to enjoy God. And he says, this is how my father is glorified. You want a dad to be revealed through the sun. You get like when the sun is doing something that shines well on the father, that's the glorification of the father. When a son looks like his dad physically, there's a part of that that is the resemblance, the image of God being, the image of the father being revealed. What he's saying here is, if you want father God to be revealed through you, by this my father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. The way that people will know you're my disciples is if you look like me. And here it is, verse 12. And this is, the com- is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. In the vine and in the branches, you know what the vine is, it's Jesus. You know what the branches is, that's us. What flows from the vine into the branches is sap 
that flows through, and that's what produces fruit. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the helper. And as we turn back to Christ, and as we look to his word, and having his words abide in us, the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates those words inside of us, and reminds us of what Christ has done, and those truths come and fill me up, and the powerful presence of God begins to change me and produce fruit in my life. And in Galatians 5, we're told exactly what the fruit of that spirit is. Firstly, love. And then there should be joy in my life. And then peace. And then patience. And then kindness. And goodness. And faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. These things should be present in my life. If they are present in my life, if they are happening, God wants to make them more present in my life. If they are not in my life, and I'm looking at my life, and the way that I gauge this is I look at love. If love is the great commandment and that's the fruit, then what I have to do is I have to look at my life and say, how much of my time, how much of my energy, how much of my thought life, how much of my prayer life, my meditative life, how much of my financial resources, how much of my talents, how much of all these things that I have are focused toward me versus focused toward God and others. And that is a sure-fail way of saying, is Christ moving in me? Now, it's not an either-or, okay? Because anyone who's on the journey with God, there is not a like, all right, I'm perfect and I love people, and I'm not, I'm completely selfish. If there is fruit happening, there will be a pruning so that more fruit can happen. If I am not seeing my life turn toward others, then what is my response? Then my response is, I better start producing fruit so that God thinks that I'm part of him. That's not going to work. That's not going to work. We can't prove something that that's hypocrisy. If I try to act like I'm a fruit bearer when I'm not, the only way that I bear fruit is the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. So if I'm looking at my life and I'm taking inventory and I'm like, you know what? My life is entirely about me right now and I don't really care much about anyone else and I'd like to think I do, but when I'm looking at my life, that's not really there. My response is not to work hard to love. My response is to return to God and say, I'm not good at this. I need you to change me. Come into my life and change me. That's called confession. That's called repentance. And that leads to salvation. And that leads to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's symbolized through baptism, which we saw today is awesome. Now, if we have seen fruit in our life, but we are not happy with how much fruit there is because we reveal the image of God, but we're also aware that we reveal other images as well, then we recognize that what's going on in that moment is that Jesus has a dad called the Father, and the Father is the vine dresser, and he will prune our lives. And that pruning has two things, and I want us to think about this for just a second. First of all, if there's a place where there are things in your life that are, for any of us, that are all about me, and they're a distraction, and they keep me from loving other people, God has the number of those things, okay? And it is a ticking time bomb. And it's not because he's mad or mean and because he wants to take things away from us. It's because the enemy will use that stuff in our life to steal, kill, and destroy God's purposes for our life. And they distract us from the joy that he has for us. He says, I've spoken these things unto you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. And if there's things that are keeping you from the fullest of joy because they're all self-focused and it's not fulfilling God's purpose, he's looking at that thing and he wants to identify it and prune it. Because he wants to take those things out of our life that keep us from the fullness of who he is. The fullness of joy is found in Christ. 
Secondarily, there are times in our life when we're used to functioning in our own strength and not in the strength of God. Some of us are workaholics and we are addicted to trying to produce fruit because we think if we produce fruit, it makes us feel better about ourselves. So we work in our own strength to try to produce fruit. There are places in our lives where he brings us to the end of ourself, where there's tension, where I can't control that person, I can't control this situation, I can't make things the way I need them to be or I want them to be. And in that tension... He calls us to a deeper dependence on the vine. Just the other day, Jen and I were uh, praying in our, in our room. And as we were praying, we were thinking about, we were in a, there was some stuff we were praying through around church here and just around life that we're like, man, we don't know how to fix this problem. We don't know how to do this. And we're like down on our faces before the Lord, just like, God, you're going to have to do this. And, and there was a level of tension in me. And I remembered he brought to memory for me about four or five times in my life where we have had no idea how to move forward in a situation. And when I look back at those times in my life, I remember them as the most precious days in my life because I was just desperate to have the Lord in my life. And so at the time, they never felt comfortable. But what was happening was I was scouring the word of God, looking for the words to abide in me. I was deep in prayer saying, God, we need you to help. And in those moments, I remember being close and dependent to God, dependent on God. And when I look back at them, I look at them as treasured moments in my life. But in this moment, as we were sitting there in the tension, God was trying to remind me. He was saying, Tim, do you realize that this moment where you're crying out to me right now is someday going to be a day that you look back at and you say, whoa, that was an awesome time. And right now you're like loathing it. This is my grace to you. Don't scorn the discipline of a father who loves you. When he's pruning things out of your life, when he's making life difficult so you have to reach out more, that's his grace. And so because of that, it reminds us of this. That whatever the tension is in our life, whatever the thing is that's hard to let go of, whatever the place is that we can't change, he's calling us right now to thank him for that moment, to celebrate that moment. Because that is not something outside of the control of God. That is a God-designed situation in my life to bring a greater dependency on him, which can produce more fruit out of my life. I got to hear amen on that one. All right, thank you. I I don't care if you meant it or not. I just need to hear it. We're going to pray for that for a second before we finish up, okay? So um, just take a, a second here, a couple seconds, and whatever the situation is in your life, whatever the thing is that you're struggling with, bring it before the Lord. I would invite you to lay in front of him whatever the difficulty in letting go is, whatever the thing is that I can't control, to, to just hand it to God and to celebrate the fact that this is a moment designed by God to prune us to be more effective in his kingdom. Father God, we don't want dead branches clogging up, clogging up our lives, dead parts of the branch, you know, taking energy and resources from us that, that don't actually lead to joy and don't lead to life. So God, have your way. You know what's best. You're the vine dresser. We're not. We're just branches. Trust you. We thank you for the moments of your pruning and for your love. It'd be so easy for you as God of the universe to just discard us and not really care. And, and, but because of who you are, you're so intentional in, in dressing the vine, making us more effective. Thank you for your pursuit of us in Jesus' name. Amen.
So as we uh, are drawing this to a close here, I, there's, there's another part of what it is that happens in a fruit-bearing branch. One is that we're pruned, but the other is this, and that's that fruit-bearing branches always stay connected. And this is where we understand the most about the vine, when he says, I'm the true vine. If we want to understand Jesus, this is where we really learn about what it is to be present with Jesus as the vine. The word abide in me, this word abide means to dwell, to live in, to take lodging in. There's also actually a mobility to it in this word abide, which means to remain in while mobile. It's to sojourn with, to endure with. So... Christ is our home, and we dwell with him, we live with him, we find home with him. But as he moves into another situation, i got to stay with him. And if I don't, I, that just took all the energy out of me right there. Holy cow. Um, and we, and we stay with him. We abide with him. If he moves over here, then we move with him. If he's coming over here, then we go with him. And to dwell with him, to abide with him, oftentimes for us, it's a picture of like, I come back home and I rest in him. And that is part of the picture. But the picture more fully when it comes to the vine is the vine is mobile and it's moving. And as I stay connected to the vine, I go where the vine goes. And as I go to produce the fruit, then I have him flowing with me. This is why Jesus says at the Great Commission, when he calls us, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tells us to teach them all of his ways, to make disciples of them, to teach them how to obey his commands. And at the end of all of that, what he says to us, after he said what we're supposed to do, he says, and, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice that he said that after telling us to go. In other words, I am out there among the least of these. I am out there in that workplace where you're supposed to shine the gospel light. Over there, that person who needs love, I am there. And as you go and care for that person, I am with you in that. I'm there already. I'm the vine. I made it there. I'm not a tree that's stuck here. I'm the vine. I'm already there. I'm out in front of you, ready to receive you. Go and connect and plug into the vine. We are are a people following Christ at Parker Ford Church is what we call ourselves. And we say we do that in three directions, up, in, and out. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in a, in a series, the next few weeks, called Plugged In. And the name, of, the, the name of that series is because we're trying to figure out how to stay plugged into Christ. Now, we have this booklet that talks about personal practices, like the spiritual disciplines, about how we stay, how, our prayer life, our devotional life, all of those things, and that help us stay more in tune with the voice of God in our life and with his love and abiding in that. These are essential, and you'll be hearing from some elders about tools that, that have been used for how to stay connected with Christ. Those are essential when we pursue God up, when we are people following Christ up. And then we will talk in that series about how we stay plugged into him together and where there's prayer for each other and care for each other and admonishment and truth spoken to one another and how we stay connected in. But I just want to remind us that it always leads to the end of out. It is always for the purpose of glorifying God. It is always for the purpose of revealing fruit. And the greatest verse in this passage to show us that is in verse 16 where it says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That doesn't mean sit and bear fruit. 
It means go and bear fruit. It means we are mobile with God. And Jesus walked all over the place finding people who needed to be loved. And he calls us as we go into our workplace, as we go into our home, as we go into our neighborhood, as we go wherever we go, we go with intention of finding out where Jesus is active in that moment and engaging with him and allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be produced in my life as I flat out, full on, with everything inside of me, love those around me. This, the reason I say this is a radical love is because I have called you to, to love the way I have loved you is what Jesus says. <laughs> really? The kind of love that Jesus loved us with? That's the kind of love. Everything in our lives for God and for the kingdom and for the people who he's put in our lives. Everything for them. Everything, flat out, that's why he says, no greater life has a man, a love has a man than this, than he lay down his life. He doesn't say that he dies for him, it's that he lays down his life for him. There's a difference. I give my life to love those around. If we have the pursuits, if we have spiritual disciplines where we're trying to connect with God, but it's not for the purpose of getting out there in love, you know what, I, I, I gotta tell you, there's dry there's dry vines to lean into. Having spiritual practices where I experience God, but it doesn't produce love and doesn't change things and doesn't reveal God's glory, that's called Buddhism, okay? Buddhism is spiritual practices for the purpose of getting to a Zen state so that I can handle the situations in my life. Christianity, following of Christ, is an active pursuit of a living God who's seeking to bless those in need. We are not pursuing spiritual practices so that we can handle our lives like a self-help book. We are pursuing a living God who's actively trying to love the world around and bring transformation to it and to build his kingdom. I want to be a part of that. I want to continue to see God move. If in our lives there is a time where we lack seeing the powerful presence of God, I want to challenge us that maybe the reason is because we are not seeing God move powerfully because we are not in the place where we are saying, God, I need you to change this person's life because you love them. In the midst of the vine and the branches is when he tells us, if you ask anything in my name, it will be given to you. If you ask anything in my name. If I'm sitting in my living room and I just want something from God and I ask, he's not going to give it to me, most likely. But if I am on a street corner, if I am in my neighborhood, if I'm with that person and I'm caring and I'm loving and I'm laboring for them, then what is given to me what is given to me is the powerful presence and the authority of God to bless those who are there. If the, if the vine runs dry and I'm not sensing the presence of God, chances are he's calling me to an active place to allow the fruit to flow through me. I'm a river. I'm not a pool. I'm a river. He wants to flow through me. How many of us here could testify, I'm sure, that the most amazing moments in your life has, when, has been when God has used you to bless another person through the powerful presence of God in your life. That's it, right? Whether it was that missions trip you went on where it was like, oh my goodness, I didn't know God could move that way. Whether it was when you prayed for that person and you saw God care for them. However God engaged you in the kingdom and you plugged into the vine and you saw that person blessed, that's when you saw the fire of God move through you, the fruits produced in your life, and God was alive and all was well in the world, even if there was pain. It was fine. Because God was at work in me. That's what it means.
to abide in the vine because he is the fruit producer. Whatever he's calling us to right now, whoever that person is that you have to speak into, do not let your hearts be troubled. You don't have to be able to love them. God will love them. You don't have to know what to do in their life. God will figure it out. You don't have to be powerful or smart to know how to bless them. Just ask God and anything you ask in his name, he's going to give it to you. He's going to move for the sake of love. He's going to produce his fruit in your life because you are a part of the vine and the Holy Spirit, the helper, will flow through you and produce his fruit. And he has called you to the vineyard. And that is a beautiful thing. Let's pray. God, as we look at lives that have gone under the waters of baptism today, as we look at members that have joined the church today, as we look at missionaries who have been prayed out today, as we look at parts of the fellowship here who we send to another part of the nation today, as, as we see all of that movement, we understand this is a living organism that's working to bring people, transform, transformed lives to be brought into you and into the vineyard and sent out. And we can just testify that that's at work. And there's a long history of that being at work in this church. And for that, we honor you and you alone because you are an awesome God. You are the vine. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. We are already um, pressed on time, but we have to do one other thing, okay? Um, and, and that's that I'm leaving to go to Indonesia and to Thailand. Um, and uh, this will be the first time that I've spent any time in Thailand, and it's with working with a group of people who are deep in the mission of uh, relief of human trafficking. Um, and we're going to be exposed to some things that uh, I've never experienced in my life. Um, and I don't want to go there without the prayers of the church family behind us and with us. Um, and you know uh, Mission Aviation Fellowship and, and Jay and I go and speak at that conference. And we're just really asking that the power of God would be present out in front of us to minister to those missionaries who work hard in a Muslim country um, to see God glorified there. And so uh, the elders are just going to come up um, and uh, say a brief prayer to send us and pray for protection for our family too. If you would feel comfortable, just extend a hand towards Tim and Jen. We just, uh, Father, we lift them up to you. And we recognize that um, although Tim might be the one journeying, that it is on account of both the faith of Tim and Jen that, Lord, you are uh, sending him to Indonesia and to Thailand. Lord, we pray that he would go with uh, your presence. He would go with our blessing and our affirmation of our hearts turned towards uh, your church in Indonesia and the people in Thailand. And Father, we pray a hand of protection over Tim, not just in his travels um, and not just physical, but also spiritual, that the lies and, um, and um, the false doctrines of these lands, Lord, that they would not um, prohibit your word from bringing truth and light into the lives of those who are ministering there. We pray that he would be um, a source of fresh water 
and a source of um, restoration for uh, the MAF missionaries. We pray that um, they would just feel your presence because of being ministered to in this moment. And Father, we pray that your spirit would just flow and overwhelm Tim in his ability to serve them in their ongoing service in a a nation that is not always um, receiving of your word and of your gospel. And Father, for... um, for him in Thailand, Lord, just um, just abundance of grace and mercy um, upon him and upon uh, the people of Thailand, Lord. It is so tough to war against human trafficking. And so we just lift up Zoe International to you, Lord. We know that they're an agency who is ministering to the least of these in uh, just such grave ways. And so we just thank you for their hearts towards that. And we pray that uh, your clarity and your discernment would be so present as Tim meets with them. And Father, for Jen and the boys, Lord, um, you are our provider and our, our, our caretaker. And so we know that you, um, you have them in your hands as he's traveling. Lord, um, just spur us as a body and as family and friends to uh, come around Jen and the boys, Lord, just in prayer and needs, whatever it is, Lord, that uh, you would, your spirit would guide us and prompt us as a body to love and, and care for our sister and our um, and their and her her boys and Tim's boys, Lord. We pray this in your name, Amen. <laughs>